It is my privilege to be back today in, uh, in the pulpit here at King's Chapel, and it's always a privilege to be here. And we ask that, uh, you know, God will join us with strength in his holy scriptures. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19, 1 uh, through 10 today. If you want to join me in that passage, if you have Luke chapter 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. I, I chose this passage today because it's a powerful passage of Christ at work, not only bringing people to himself, but also it's a powerful passage for the Church of Jesus Christ to be gripped with the message of the gospel and bring it out and see Christ gather people to salvation. And he'll use us in the process, and he has already in this church. Back in 1995, when we were just starting, and I had meetings in my home with small groups, and this was just a dream, that a vision that Don Lyon and others had cast and said there should be a church like this, a sister church or daughter church. And now I see many people here ready to continue that dream, that vision of bringing Christ uh, to this area. So thank you. We've, we've named it, the, the, the passage as we, as we go forth is the salvation of Zacchaeus. It's always good to watch salvation happen, isn't it? A front row seat. Later, as we, as we get into our passage, I just have an illustration. We watch people come to such powerful faith at the city mission. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, wow, that's a life change. That, that's a change. You know God got a hold of him or her. Because there's a complete change of life, a complete working of Christ in drawing them to himself. So today we're, we're going to be traveling along with Jesus, seeking and saving the lost. And to me, one of the most significant verses in the New Testament is this 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus, in the context, is traveling from northern Galilee, where he's been laying kind of low, Though they were looking for him to destroy him, he was laying low up there because he was waiting for a special time, the next Passover. And the Passover, he would be the Passover lamb. And the Passover lamb was on his way down to be sacrificed. And on his way down and getting to the lowest level down by the Dead Sea, just before he went up to Jerusalem, he finds himself in the city of Jericho. And he will take time to seek and save that which is lost. Now, when I look at a verse of Scripture, uh, 
in the Psalms, but I don't need to see it now. Uh, I have it written down. But three times in the Bible, especially Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and also in Romans 2, uh, 2 verse 20, uh, 3, verse 20, Romans 3, verse 20, God repeats that there is nobody, none, that seek after him. They're all unclean, all ungodly. There's all of us who are sinful, and we don't really seek God because he seeks us. And I love that passage, and I'm thinking, Lord, really? No, nobody's seeking. And Psalm 14, 1 to 3, and I'm thinking, Lord, I'm so glad you sought me. Because the Lord comes out to seek us, and Zacchaeus now has a heart for God because God is seeking, and he might be seeking you. You may have come in here today, and I don't know you. You may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You haven't trusted him. I don't know your condition, but God, we trust, is seeking you, and you are now opening up to the fact that he's coming for you. He's telling you. He's giving you new light so that you might turn from sin and ruin to him. Well, anyway, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And on the way, he, in his passage through Jericho, this beautiful city, this, this sorry sinner is going to save the down and out and the up and out in, in the class of work which I do. People who are broken have nothing in their pockets. And those who are wealthy and those who are in the middle class, God is seeking and saving that which is lost. The Bible, Christ said if... No one can come unto the Father except that the Father draws, you know, nobody can come unto me except that the Father draws him. And I knew that feeling 52 years ago when Christ Jesus sought me and bought me with his own blood. And out in Queemans Hollow, New York, I came to faith in Jesus Christ in such a powerful way that I knew that my life would never be the same. But needless to say, he sought me. And then he's with the up and out, and that's where we are today, people who have it all together with earth's so-called equities, but they are without a Savior. And they are in a place of lostness or ruin. And if they keep on that, they will come to utter destruction eternally. Well, first point is the sorry sinner. (laughs) Very easy outline today. Jesus entered Jericho, and the place... The place of this sorry center was Jericho. Uh, and this is an oasis in the, in, in the area of the Dead Sea. If you've ever been to the Dead Sea, you know what I'm talking about. I floated in the Dead Sea, some of the most nasty-tasting water. You never want to get it in your mouth. It's full of magnesium and every other mineral. It's terrible down there. It's hot down there. But Jericho kind of has the climate of Southern California. It, it's a beautiful area that... Archelaus, the son of Herod, and Herod himself had a palace there, and that's where they all wanted to be because it's so beautiful. Palm trees were everywhere, and there were also these beautiful balsam bushes that grew there, and you could take the, the leaves from that and make perfume to be sent all over the world. It was a gorgeous place. It was a rich trade route, and a city of roses. Edersheim, the great uh, Jewish scholar who wrote, you know, the life and times of Jesus the Messiah, said it is an Eden of paradise. And that's the one place we couldn't go when we went to Israel because of the differences between Arabs and Jews. So we couldn't go to to Jericho, but it was okay someday. 
That's his place. And his position, he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Most people in the United States seek that kind of status, don't they? I mean, they want everything to be financially well off and, uh, you know, have a good position, have a good career, looking for better careers, looking for going from this to a different thing, and, and that's part of what our American culture is about. But he was a man who was called Zacchaeus, which means innocent, but he was not innocent. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. I love the term that the Greek language uses. He is an architect, architect, architect. You know what an architect does? He builds buildings. He plans them. Architect, means he was a builder of portfolios. Now, I'm sure in this room today, you, there's some people who are going to a financial advisor that say, help me build my portfolio. <laughs> well, he, was, he had been building his portfolio in very evil ways, stealing and robbing and taking money from off the top of what he was supposed to be collecting as a tax collector. Plus he also, he was rich because he had purchased from Rome one of three things that every tax collector ever wanted to be. Rome had divided the nation of Israel into three tax regions. Kind of like when we send our money to Andover Mass, you know, in April. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, there were three tax collecting areas, and one of them was the area around Jericho where Herod had palaces, and that's where this man, he was architect Lonus, that meant he was the chief tax collector. He was in charge of that whole tax area for Rome. He had purchased it with a price. Rome expected certain money to come from that tax district, and uh, Herod got his cut, and all of that had to be done, and this man was in charge of all, all the tax collectors in their booths, he was the head, head dog. When it came to taxes, one-third of Israel going back to Rome. And he was very wealthy. And he was also the arch enemy of the Jews in that district. They hated his guts. He was Jewish. He was overtaxing all the Jews to give to Rome. And they looked at that as, you are the worst enemy we could ever think of. If there was a poster, arch enemy, his picture would be on it. Not that IRS would not be on your picture list. I don't know if they would be. But, but the fact of the matter is, he is a big tax collector. And Lord, the up and out, the down and out, you come to all of us. And you're seeking us today. But anyway, he's in this dry area. He's in this Eden. His position is tax collector. And he is not satisfied. You'd think he'd be satisfied up in a mansion in his hot tub overlooking the district and, you know. But he finds out that Jesus Christ is on his way through. It says he was seeking to see who Jesus was, the sinner. That's his plan. Now, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead about a month or two earlier than that, depending on what you look. And so Jesus... Uh, about 14, 15 miles from where Zacchaeus lived, it, it became known that, that he had done one of the greatest miracles. A man was dead four days and Christ had taken him out of the tomb and Zacchaeus knew about that. Zacchaeus also knew something else about Christ, this Jesus who was now traveling through with massive crowds, literally probably tens of thousands 
going through Jericho to go up to the Passover where maybe two million Jews would come for the Passover feast. In this very crowded situation, he knew that, Zacchaeus knew that this was a special one. He raised the dead, Lazarus. He, he, he loved even the hated tax collectors. If you could love a tax collector, you could love anybody, you know, in that sense. And Zacchaeus wanted to bring the hurting and the anguish. Uh, he, he wanted an answer to the hurting and the anguish that was in his soul. Imagine that, having all the money you could ever use or spend, and you couldn't spend all that you had. And your heart was sick and tired and tired and sick. And some people with more money than I've ever seen in the capital region have called me to their bedside and asked me to pray with them. They could do anything in the capital region they want and buy any buildings, uh, with a plural, and yet there was something in their soul that says, I'm not happy, I don't, I'm not fulfilled, and whatever it is you're chasing after, if Christ is not a large part of your life, he's not your life, then you'll understand that nothing in this world can answer the cry of your heart but him, Jesus. That's why when we see people come to the mission and they're ready for Christ, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But who is seeking who? No one can come unto me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's the promise of Christ. And he's seeking Jesus. He finds he's coming, and one thing he wants to do is he wants to see who Jesus was. He wants to find out who this one is about with such a reputation that he would take Matthew, one of the men that was probably under him, take him and revolutionize his life and actually hang out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, the dregs, so-called, of that society. Jesus was right with them because he loved them and came to seek and save them. But his problem, on account of the crowd, he could not because he was a small of stature. So he ran, in verse 4, it says, ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. He was about to pass that way. Well, seeing that I am also height challenged at five foot six and a half, um, you know, I'm around people, I'm thinking, where'd you come from, man? I was around somebody the other day at a funeral. This guy had to have been six, eight, seven, I thought. I'm looking up at him and say, you don't even have to worry about who's in the room, you just look over. Wow, maybe you're height challenged, maybe you're tall. Whatever it is, he was height challenged. <laughs> he was a little guy and probably somewhere between five and five, six, you know. He couldn't see over the crowd, and the crowds were literally like they would have been yesterday in New York. You couldn't see past anything if you were a little guy. You knew Christ was coming, because that's what the scuttle was, but you couldn't see him. So he decided it was time to do two things that he did have that were, I guess, pretty good. He didn't, as, as Hugh said, that he was, uh, he couldn't see through people, but he had, he had legs <laughs> and could run. <laughs> so I guess there's always some compensation for your shortness. But this guy could run. <laughs> and so he decides this plan in his life. That was his problem. He would run ahead because he knew the routes well. He knew how to escape. He knew he didn't get too close to the crowds because somebody would probably take a knife and plunge it into his, his side. They hated his guts, remember. He was not, oh, hi, Zacchaeus, we love you. Yeah, no, yeah, 
they would like to, the zealots especially, the zealots who, who fought for Israel on, on, a, on a dagger level, they would have killed him in a minute. He had to protect himself. He may even have bodyguards, who knows, but he's running ahead. And he climbs up into this kind of short trunk tree, kind of like an English oak tree, where I could climb when I was a kid. You know, you, you like to climb trees, you know, <laughs> and you get off in the branches and your mother comes out and yells at you to come down before you kill yourself. And, but the fact of the matter is that he's up there in this tree and that's what he decides. What length would people do to come to Jesus? In our, in our newsletter this month, so I won't tell you what's in it per se, there's Fred, he's on the cover. Fred's one of those guys that is not height challenged. And when he stands next to me, this very large African-American man uh, has to look down at me. <laughs> but him and I hugged and cried together when he read, recently went back to Cleveland, Ohio. He, he would make fun of his, his wife's religion. She was a Christian. He would make fun of that. He would drink and drug constantly. He had a job but he was out in Cleveland, Ohio, and he said, I, I'm, I'm, my life is nothing, I'm, I'm, I'm done. He said, I gotta get out of Cleveland, I'm just gonna die. So he got on a freight train that ended up near here at the Selkirk Yards of the train station, CSX. Anybody here know CSX, you know that sometimes people jump your, jump your trains and they take free rides from Cleveland, Ohio to this area. He saw a sign that said, Selkirk, New York, one mile. Then he saw another sign that said, Albany, New York, seven miles. He said, well, that's the state capital. He made a good decision there. I don't think he would have got help, per se, in Selkirk. But the fact of the matter is he got to the city mission and he stayed around for a while, but our guys, especially our guys on the program, and they say, you need to be on this program. You need to get your life changed. And he got saved almost. He came to a place of saying, yes, I need Christ. The very religion I've been making fun of my wife at, he's the one I need. And he clearly came to faith in Christ. Stayed with us for a year and decided it was time to go back. And so he went back home. We just got pictures with him and his grandson. And his testimony is in here. It's very vivid, very wonderful. I'm thinking, thank you, Lord. He said, Perry, I don't want to leave here. He said, but I got to go home and do what I got to do. And I've asked my wife to forgive me for making fun of her and her Jesus, because now he's my Jesus. You know, when you get to that level, if you've got tears in your eyes, man, you're dead man. Thank you, CSX, for the free train ride. <laughs> he also went by Hannaford. I got to get over there and pay that guy for the cake, because he went in Hannaford, sat down next to the deli. He was so hungry. He hadn't eaten anything on the train or anything, and he's a big boy. And so he went in there and he saw it, and, he, and he, he, he asked this lady for some money, and she thought that, you know, he was trying to, he, she got back, and oh, please, please, you know, stay away from me type thing. She didn't know what he was doing, but she was scared. So he went over and grabbed the cake, sat down next to the deli bakery and ate it. He said, I expected the manager to come and say, okay, you're under arrest. Did you pay for that cake? He said, I ate the cake, nobody came over, I left and went to Albany. So, oh, thank you, Lord. Seeking and saving that which is lost. And then, in the process of all of our salvations, we have the seeking Savior. 
<laughs> yes, the awesome call of Jesus. The Bible says when Jesus came to the place, the tree, thousands of people are coming through, tens of thousands, pushing and shoving and wanting to get a piece of Christ, this so-called miracle worker. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. I love that. <laughs> you say, wow, Jesus is pretty, pretty bossy. <laughs> I'm thinking Zacchaeus looking down. I'm just trying to get a look at you. You're coming right to my tree and looking up, making eye contact with me. Oh, Lord, thanks for making eye contact with me. For coming to me and seeking and saving me when I was in a lost condition. I must stay at your house today. He didn't say, can I stay? He didn't say, uh, how's your appointment book looking for tomorrow? <laughs> nope. And it's in the imperative, in both the Greek participle and the Greek, and the Greek verb is, you come down now. Wow. I must stay at your house today. You know that God says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the earth. This world, like Nathaniel, he said, how do you know me? He said, he called him by name, he said, before. Before Philip called, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He said, oh, my, you've got to be the Messiah. You know everything about me, and I, even, I don't know you. But God does know you. He knows where you are today. He knows what you've been occupied with. He knows what you've been doing and thinking. He knows all about you, and Jesus came to him, and he said, I want to stay at your house today. And that was a dream come true for a man who nobody wanted to stay at his house unless they could hurt him. And now Zacchaeus, the God... The Son of God knew and called him by name. As far as we know, that had never, there had never been a meeting of these two. He uses the word D-E-I in the Greek language today. I must be in my father's house, Jesus would say. The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men. And now he says, I must stay at your house. There's a lot of must that God goes through when he comes to you. I must save your soul. I must do this. I must do that. And I'm glad he has those dictates, and I'm glad Jesus is there doing that. The, the miracle of Christ drawing you. Some of you can go back and say, Christ drew me when I was... They weren't just circumstances. Christ Jesus was drawing me to himself. The Father was saying, you're coming home to my son. Maybe somebody in this room right now, God is calling you and say, it's your day. This is Zacchaeus' day to turn from his old life of ruin and lostness to Christ. And you'll see that unfold as we continue to go on. What a great Savior we have, the Lord Jesus Christ. You got my notes here a little bit foggy, but we'll get, to, we'll get to the end of it. His joyful response, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. The Son of God. The Son of Man, the Savior, would come to his house. He was unworthy. Reminds me of the prodigal son. He smelled like pig dung. Pig dung and all the trappings. He came home to his father, and his father said, Come home. Come here. I'm going to prepare a feast for you. Put a ring upon his finger and a robe upon him. My son, who has been lost, he's home. Zacchaeus 
receive Christ joyfully. Probably the most joyful thing, I know the most joyful thing I ever did when, when a man came to my house and said, would you like to go to church? He was living next door 52 years ago, and I knew my father was, was a despicable man who hated everybody, and my mom was reading tarot cards for every person in the neighborhood at our kitchen table constantly, telling fortunes, and I went, and he told me about Christ so vividly. He said, if you ever want to talk to him, I said, if you ever want to receive him, I said, I want to do that right now. And that's when it happened. Joyful response. And then a negative response from the crowd. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of, of a man who is a sinner. Muttering, they were muttering. In the Greek language, it's da da go goo goo. Say, wow, that sounds weird. Well, it sounds like what they were doing, just muttering. And they're starting to say, wait, 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 wait. We thought you were a special prophet, and now you're going to be going with him, the notorious thief of our nation, the betrayer of everything good about Judaism, and now you're going to be him. Negative response. No mercy or care, but Jesus did. The self-righteous crowd could care less about this, this soul of this man. But Jesus cared and saved his sinful soul. Jesus wasn't putting any kind of, you know, uh, positive spin about the fact that he was a thief. And most of the money he had, he had extorted from everybody. No, but Jesus loves sinners. There's none that seek after him. There's no, no one righteous, Psalms 14 tells us. No, no one that deserves anything that God has done through us through Christ. It's a gift. And this self-righteous crowd, they hated this. They condemned him. In fact, the crowd said, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Gone to be. In there, there is a little Greek word called kataluo. I love this word because that's what I like Jesus to do to me. Kata means down and to lay down your coat. And luo is to loosen your coat and hang it up. That's what it meant. He is going to be going to stay the whole night as a hospitable, uh, as a guest of Zacchaeus. And to kick his sandals off, and they're going to have a great time to be able to talk in the, in the inside section of his house, put his coat on the peg, as it were, and this is not just a, a loose meeting where nothing's going to happen. Powerful, redemptive things are going to happen. Because when Jesus Christ saves our soul, the power of God under salvation takes place. And there is, there is a major eternal work going on by the faith of Jesus Christ. It happens when you open your heart to Jesus Christ. You're born again. There is a powerful work that God does. And now that's what's going to happen. Self-righteous crowd. No, he is gone. The spectacular salvation a sorry sinner, a, a, a saving, a savior. Boy, isn't that terrible when you can't even remember? Seeking savior and now a spectacular salvation. <laughs> Absent-minded. Unlike Jesus, meeting with Nicodemus and the woman at the well, we don't know what Jesus had to say to Zacche- Zacchaeus during this session. But he came forth a powerful new man. We see the result of what he said to him. I'd love to have been a fly in the wall in that room. Because Jesus, like the woman at the well, always steers you around to your sin and says, okay, let's take a look at your life, why you need me. What's going on? 
Why did I come to seek and save you from your sin? So whatever happened there, it would have been good. But what, what we know is that Jesus Christ has had a session of hospitality with this man that ends up in a life change for him. And so Zacchaeus and Jesus are talking. We know what Nicodemus talked to Christ about. We know what the woman at the well talked about and others. And at this point, Jesus is going to make some declarations. The spectacular salvation is now taking place. And that's when we see Zacchaeus come out from that situation and make an announcement to all that were listening. Zacchaeus, after this meeting with Christ, and Christ is on his way to on, now Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, L-O-R-D, curios. First of all, he doesn't call him a rabbi anymore, or a teacher, or, you know, a prophet. He says, you're my Lord. Thank you. Wow. Because one thing, when Christ saves you, he saves you not because of anything you've done or any obedience you've done. He saved you in the way you are. He comes to a sinner and says, I've, I'm going to die. In this case, he's going to die one week from there on Calvary and pay for every one of your sins. Take your scourge of your, your, my God's wrath against you. And I'm going to pay for it, and, and I want you to come and receive me. And that's what's happened. Zacchaeus stood and said to him, Lord, now I know who you really are. You're not just my Savior, but my, my Lord. And what happens next will show you that, that those were not empty words, L-O-R-D. Jesus declared, today salvation has come to this house. Oh, I love a house where the people in it know Christ. And there's a sense in which salvation has come to my house. Later, by the way, my, my mother, we burned her cards. <laughs> she came to faith in Christ. We burned those tarot cards that she had. I tell you, the entire village of women wanted to know what, God, what the future was. I think well, God knows the future. So that was done. There was, there was a change later when my dad came to faith in Christ for his death. There was a change of heart. He said, you're my Lord. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It, it, it's a matter of confidence and faith in what Christ did for you, not what you did, but what Christ did. And now you're by faith calling out and saying, save me. You know how many people in this area need that message? How many people need to turn from their, from their sin and come to faith in Christ in the Glenmont, the Selkirk, the Ravina, the Albany, all the area around us, there's people who are in their sin, in their darkness, they need Christ. And that's why we're here, to bring that message of salvation in Christ. That's his confession. Christ, you're my Lord. I'm changing. Money's not my God. Prestige. All the other stuff. He said, nope, I'm turning. You are my L-O-R-D. You're my Lord. And then he changes his heart. Lord, half of my goods I give unto the poor. Half his estate. I don't know what his estate was worth, but he was the archelonist. Remember the architect of his own uh, portfolio. <laughs> he, was, he was filthy rich. Probably the second or third richest man in that entire district. 
But he says, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. Basically, unlike the rich ruler, he's ready to stop worshiping money. Remember, in chapter 18 of the book of Luke, another man who's very wealthy comes to Christ and seeks eternal life. He seeks a different life. And he says, you know, what do I have to do? He says, Christ says, you stop making money your God and just get it all away and come and follow me. And he said, he went away very sad because he was very wealthy. And he could not give up that God. And of course, Peter and the rest said, can any rich man get saved? Christ said, with man it is not possible, but with God it is possible for the camel to go through the eye of a needle. <laughs> and today you're witnessing the camel going through the eye of a needle. Can you imagine what it is to take your portfolio in one moment and give half of it <laughs> away to the poor? Wow. That's half of it. So what are you going to do with the other half? Maybe the other half is so big anyway, it doesn't matter. You gave half away, you still got, you know, the billions of dollars, you know, whatever. If I have defrauded anyone, I restore it fourfold. So the rest is in escrow. <laughs> so that line that comes up to me and says, we know you've stolen more money from our company and from us and for than you were ever supposed to take, and we have a charge against you. You owe us. You stole money. You extorted money for taxes. Your wealth is part made up from stealing from us. He said, when that happens, my other half of my income is now, I will restore anybody four times. Boy, that, Jesus, I think he, I think he got saved. I think his wallet got saved. Wow, his portfolio got saved. <laughs> Here he is saying, Lord, it's all on the table. Sin, repentance, turning from a life that he knew was wrong. Restitution now is in order, as you'll find in Scripture. Uh, it, it exceeds even Old Testament restitution. He's a new creature in Christ. You'll do things. I, when I was reading in, his, in, in Fred's life, and as I talked to him, I'm thinking, man, you're not the same guy that came here on that train, train from Ohio. Well, that's his contrition. He says, I'm sorry. I stole from everybody imaginable. But I'm, I'm, the whole portfolio is on the line right now. Take it. Well, that's amazing. And then his conversion. Christ says, you know, salvation has come to his house. He's also a son of Abraham. But he's a son of Abraham in two different ways. He's a son of Abraham because he's actually a Jew. He's also a son of Abraham because... Uh, he did what Abraham did. He, when God came to him and spoke to him the word, he believed God that was accounted to him as righteousness. It was imputed or put on his account that you believed me when I gave you the word. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We believe that. We say, Lord, you are my God. You are my Savior. Come into my heart and take control. I give it to you. When we do that, that's a conversion experience. It's, it's Christ taking you and making you a new person. And that's why believers in Christ are called sons of Abraham spiritually. All of us are children of Abraham spiritually because we did what he did, believing God when the message came to us in Christ, and we became new creatures in Christ. Spiritual sons of Abraham. Galatians 6, 6 through 7 says that we are, we are the faith of the sons of Abraham. He's not the same man. He's a giver and not a taker. 
He's drawn by the Father, not by money and power. He's committed to the Lord. There's a lot of work to be done in the U.S. right now. There's been a, a, there's been a time as we've watched where people aren't coming to faith as we believe they need to, but yet we're praying for revival in our area. We're praying for hearts to be open to Christ and that this body of believers here at King's, our pastor, uh, elders, and all of us can be strong in going out being used by God to seek and to save that which is lost. And there will be a harvest of souls. And this room could be doubled in the next few years. Because Christ is going to seek and to save the lost of this area. And he's going to use us. Romans 10, 9 and 10, 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the message. To turn to Christ. Follow him. Show it by a changed life. Lord, you're seeking and saving that which is lost. He has not stopped that. That is his main work today. To call the lost. Until that time when there will be no more need for that. Because we sang about that in our first song. Be thou my vision. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this newborn creature called Zacchaeus. Fresh, fresh from a meeting all night with Jesus Christ, which has got to be the most powerful, transforming thing I can think of. His soul was radically changed. Lord, there might be somebody in this room that says, God's calling me. He's seeking me, and I'm giving him my heart today. I'm believing that he is Lord, he's my Savior, he died for me, and all my sins are now forgiven because I'm trusting him and asked him to be my Savior. And I'm believing totally in Christ. And if that's what you need to do, tell us when you're done. But Lord, thank you. We give you praise, we give you honor. Seek and save that which is lost in Christ's name. Amen.